0: Hi, and
1: welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We get together every weekday at this time, live radio, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical worldview, and what we hear when we go to get together on Saturday, Sunday, or whatever day. Is it even in the Bible at all? If you got a question you'd like to ask us, hey, that's why we're here, please call us. That number to call again, eighty-eight. Eighty-eight ask csn is the number to call, toll-free, and we got some lines open just for you. So again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker comes on after To Every Man and Answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome, Jeff.
2: Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. As always, looking forward to a really good show. Already got questions popping up on the call line, so... That's always a good sign. Looking forward to uh, just talking to the people and and uh, letting them clear the cobwebs with questions about the Bible. You know, Mike, I'm learning. I've been in the Bible my whole life, and I'm still uh, learning every day. Things Amen. that Thank I you. that I say, "Wow, you know, I didn't, I never saw that, or I never thought about that, or there's a new, a new depth, or a new angle, or a new, uh, just a new thought from the Word. It never gets old." it never gets dusty it never gets antiquated uh it's fresh and new every day even though it's thousands of years old it's uh it's god's word so it never itself gets old so looking forward to the questions today mike
1: amen i think we're going to have some good ones then again we just want to encourage you to give us a call. And, again, we appreciate you, Jeff, being on the air here on CSN with your program Hardwired. Uh, again, comes on after CSN. Uh, to Every Man and Answer is over. And so we want to encourage you to hang around listen after about an hour or two. You'll be able to hear him right here again uh, with a recorded service from his church there in Fort Worth, Texas. And so at this time, I believe we'll just go ahead and go to the phones. We have Angela on the line in Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Good
0: afternoon. I have a question for you regarding woman's role in the church. According to the Word of God, what is acceptable for how women are to serve within the church or even to be in leadership roles?
1: Well, the Bible, Paul writing to a young minister, Timothy, said he would not allow a woman to usurp a man's authority. Now, that does not mean a woman doesn't have any right or position in church. And I believe uh, a woman under a man's authority has a lot of freedom to do many things. And I thank God for the uh, women missionaries that are out in the mission field right now that were sent out by their church. We thank God for all the women who participate in services all over, uh, the world. Uh, and the Bible clearly says the younger, uh, the older women are to teach the younger women. Uh, that doesn't mean a woman cannot speak to a man. Certainly I think there's some things a man can learn, but it's the direction of the church, the authority, uh, the authoritative head of the church is very clear in the Bible, Old Testament or New. And if we're going to follow biblical consistency, we have to always go back to the Bible. You don't find women pastors uh, in the New Testament. You don't find women priests in the Old Testament. Now, people will say, well, what about Deborah? Well, Deborah was not a priest. She was a judge, like a governor. And so, very clearly, she was not in the spiritual allocation there that the Bible lays out. Your thoughts, Jeff?
2: Yeah, the, the whole, the, the line in the sand is, is made with a woman being uh, in the primary leadership of a local church. And that is where uh, Timothy, Paul writes to young Timothy, his son in the faith, who was a pastor, and says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority. Now there's the magic words, not to usurp authority, over the man, but to be in silence. So that's one of those lines of demarcation regarding women in leadership. You know, women uh, were in ministry uh, in many places, like, for instance, in the book of Acts. Uh, Roman, uh, Paul mentions women who had uh, greatly helped him in ministry and in Romans and other places. Um, so it's not that women can't be involved in ministry, the line in the sand is, is the exercising authority over men in the context of a local church. Because if you are a primary leader or an elder in a local church, then you have to exercise authority over men. There's no way not to. Now that doesn't mean, you know, telling men what to do, uh, you know, telling them, uh, you know, I want you to this and that in the church or here, go, go teach that class or it's not a matter of ordering men around but it's a spiritual authority. It is the woman uh, acting as a spiritual head or covering over a man, and that is where the line is drawn. So uh, aside from that, then women, were, were we see female deacons in the church. Uh, you know, Paul sent the book of Romans uh, to the Romans by way of Phoebe, uh, can you imagine being Phoebe and being sent across the ocean carrying the manuscript of the greatest uh, treatise on Christianity in the history of the world, uh, Romans, the book of Romans, and yet he handed it to her, and she carried it across the ocean to Rome for Paul, uh, as far as I know, by herself. But even if she had companions, he entrusted it to her, and that's that's just... When you think of the document you're carrying there, I can't think of a more valuable document than that one, the book of Romans, but he trusted it to a woman. So it's not that women can't be blessings. As Mike already said, the, the aged women or older women are to teach the younger women and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, there should not be a primary female pastor. I've been in churches where there was a female senior pastor and I just, I just couldn't get comfortable with it. I didn't attend it. I, I visited and, um, just went once or twice. And, and that was kind of it for me because I just couldn't get out of my mind that this is the fear line that Paul was drawn. So I think that's what it's talking about. A woman ex- exercising spiritual authority over men. It goes against the divine order of God for man was created first, then the woman. And Paul also makes the point in another set of passages that it was the woman that was deceived and not the man. And she, Eve, uh, ate of the fruit, deceived. The man ate of it, eyes wide open. So I think part of Paul's reason, and I'll close with this, uh, but part of Paul's reason for saying what he said is women being emotional as they are, more sensitive than men, uh, more uh, affectionate and compassionate than men it may be that they're more inclined to being deceived by smooth talk by a well the, the serpent he didn't go to adam he went to eve eve was his target how come because she was the easier target i don't mean to offend any women out there in the audience but i'm just quoting what the scriptures say so Again, Mike, it has to do with spiritual authority, and that's where the line is drawn.
1: Yeah, and and so, um, I, I, again, we don't find any biblical consistency of any women priests in the Old Testament, women pastors in the New. So, I, I think if that was going to be an issue. Now, again, I believe the reason Paul cites that, what you just quoted there, Jeff, about it was the woman who was deceived. The man willfully did it, uh, is that it's not talking about a cultural issue. People oftentimes will say, well, that's the way it was back in the days of Rome or, uh, in our world, even 200 years ago. But that's not what Paul says. He's saying that it is the difference between a man and a woman and the composite makeup that this is why the woman was deceived over the man. And so that's why he did not and doesn't, didn't allow a woman, uh, to usurp the authority over a man and, and to be in the position of a senior lead pastor. I believe that's very, very consistent with all of scripture. And so I hope that helps. Yes, understood. Um, so
0: just to clarify, A little bit further. So I I get everything you're saying. And so is it then acceptable for a woman to be, say, an associate pastor or a pastor within a congregation under the authority of a senior pastor and at times take the pulpit and teach the congregation on a Sunday? Are you saying that? authority
1: uh, or line of authority would be acceptable? Well, again, I think it goes back to who is the lead pastor. Now, again, I I think of uh, Melissa Scott as an example, who Mm. uh, took over Gene Scott's ministry, and I've listened to Melissa Scott teach, and she's just really a brilliant woman who I think God has used in a tremendous way, operating under the authority of her husband who died. Now, again, I don't really have a problem with that, um, just as I wouldn't if there was women missionaries. I knew a a, a woman missionary that we supported in our church who was in Burundi, Africa. uh, But she was the only Christian voice that was there. And to say, well, no, you can't go there and leave all the people there in Burundi without any kind of a voice uh, from the Bible or God, I I wouldn't want to say that. I wouldn't want to do that. So I think we just need to be in balance on that. Any last thoughts, Jeff?
2: Yeah. Again, the, the scriptures are our authority. And when I look at the scriptures, uh, now you talk about a woman being a pastor under a pastor in a church, um, or standing up on a Sunday morning and teaching, you know, um, I'll just say this. You go to the language, the Greek language, for instance. And elder, which, or bishop, either one, you have presbyteros, you have the OS ending, the omega sigma, or omicron sigma. Now you have that ending. That's a masculine ending. You never find presbyteros, or or an elder called anything but presbyteros with a masculine ending. Episcopos is bishop. Again, it's the omicron sigma ending, which is masculine. Uh, you never see in the book of Acts a woman um teaching a local congregation. It, you just don't see it consistently. Yeah, so, yeah. Now, so I just want to be careful how I respond because you know I know there's a lot of pastors that that get their wives up there from time to time to teach, and I'm just I'll say to that I'm I'm not them. I don't answer for them. They don't answer for me, and I don't want to. You know, sit in judgment on what they do or don't do. I just know what I see in scripture is, um, what, well, like I said, you don't see a female in that role. You you just don't.
1: Old Testament or new.
2: Yeah. You can just make it that what you want. You know, you can, you can read it yourself, but you know, the old saying, when all else fails, follow directions. And, um, so. My question would be, why don't we see it in Acts or any of the epistles? How come? Why do we never see that if it is, if it should be uh, normative? So I'll just throw that out there, Angela, and you can look it up yourself, but that's what I see.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think if we go against or add to God's word, I think there are consequences. You know, you look down through history, how many false prophetesses operated back then and even now. You you see Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventists saying the mark of the beast is worshiping on Sunday. Well, that's ridiculous. It's very clear. It's a mark on your hand or on your forehead. Well, no, that's what you think and that's what you do. No, that is not what the Bible is saying. You look at Mary Baker Eddy. You look at all these others that have uh, influenced so many people. And I, I, again, I think if we just go back to the Bible, take the Bible for what it says, I think we're all going to be a lot farther ahead. Angela, stay in line if you like. Send you out a uh, couple of books, a couple of DVDs, "Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as the movie Jesus. Um, God of Wonders and uh, a little book called Time to Grow. Okay.
0: Thank you. God bless you. Bye bye.
1: Angela, God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. If you've got any more questions, please call us. We're here for you. Let's go to Ann in Midland, Texas. Hi, welcome.
0: Hi. Um, my question is, um, two weeks ago, uh, on Sunday night, I turned the radio on and was listening to your station. And the pastor that was on, who I never did get, he said that Jacob had two wives—no, four wives. And I thought, I never heard that before, and I kept listening and thinking he would tell who they were, but he never did. So I'm wondering, who are Jacob's four wives?
1: Well, I'll tell you. The Bible tells us Rachel and Leah. Now, he didn't really want all these women. We remember that he worked for Laban, um, uh, Rachel's father, for seven years, and there on the wedding night, after everything was over, and even today, very customary to have the woman veiled, in the morning when he woke up, the veil was removed. He had his evening of of enjoyment, you might say, and realized it was not it was not Rachel, but it was Leah. Uh, the Bible said she had weak eyes. Nobody knows what this really means, but she might have been not the best looking. We don't know what the case was. And he goes to Laban, he says, what is this? You, you have deceived me. I worked for seven years for, for the hand of Rachel and you, you gave me Leah instead. And he said, well, it's customary in our country that the older daughter gets married first. And so therefore, if you want, rachel now as your wife uh you're gonna have to work for me another seven years now i i will uh you know i'll float you alone on her you fulfill uh rachel uh leah's week and then I'll, i'll give you her and then you work for me for another seven years well here along come the babies and the babies are coming but rachel doesn't have any babies and so she says well here take my handmaiden and have a baby with her, very similar to what Abraham did with, with uh, Hagar, um, and instead of Sarah. And so then what happens is that when Leah saw, after she had had a kid or two, that she offered, Rachel offered him her handmaiden, uh, Leah says, we'll take my handmaiden as well and have some children with her as well. And this is where we got the 12 tribes of Israel, interestingly enough. So two wives for sure, and then two handmaidens, or some people call them concubines. They have different names. But but nevertheless, he was in a lifelong relationship, it appears, with all of them. Your thoughts, Jeff?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. He had four women in his life, you know, two wives. And then the two concubines. And, um, that's just what happened back then. You know, Bilhah and Zilpha were the concubines. And, um, this was before Moses. So this was not considered, uh, polygamy. Um, when Moses brought the law, then all these things changed and either became right or became wrong officially. But before that in the days of the patriarchs, uh, this was common practice. So, uh he had four women in his life and that's that's how how it happened and um as mike said the 12 uh heads of the 12 tribes came from Jacob and uh, uh some of them came from competition between these women and um so it was it was i've often thought about this that it was pretty miserable for the women um the guy you know he's got all these women fighting for him uh you know Taking into account the male ego, uh, it was probably uh, something that the man enjoyed. But the women were in this bitter competition. Uh, you know, who's going to have most most of the kids? Who's going to have uh, most of the favor in his eyes? Who's he going to like best? And it was just a, a really miserable situation for the women. But that's the way it was. And again, uh, when Moses came along and God gave him the law, all of that changed and in, Things became more fair and more equitable. Mike, of course.
1: Then after Moses came, uh, the situation with polygamy got worse. In fact, even after Moses, you look and see which of the patriarchs did not have more than one wife. Whether it was King David, Solomon, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you you see this uh, uh, going um, clear into most likely the time of Jesus, where. Even Paul, when he says uh, the qualifications of a pastor is the husband of one wife, not speaking of divorce and remarriage, because you could marry as many women as you wanted to. You just didn't divorce them. They would be destitute. You had to still take care of them. You build them a little house out and back, and then you married somebody else. That's, that's biblical. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to look at what the Bible really says, but that's what the Bible says. But he says the husband of one wife, which means not a polygamist carried over, from the Old Testament law, because if you were involved in the things of God, you were to be the husband of just one wife. And so, uh, and I hope that helps.
0: Yes, it does. I forgot about the handmaids. So thank you very much.
1: God bless you, dear. Yeah, stay online. We'll send you out what we send everybody. I think you'll enjoy that. And we'll go to Charlie saying, Augustine, Florida. Hi, and welcome.
0: I have a question about Isaiah fifty-five twelve, especially um, the chapter begins with, I guess God explaining to us how His ways are far above our ways, and uh, it just feels uh, presumptuous of us. Many of the pastors I speak with say that that is a poetic um, phrase about the rocks and the trees applauding. I wanted to get your take on it.
1: Well, Jesus talked about He's remember He comes in on the Mount of Olives and. Uh, Uh, They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now, save now. And the Pharisees were very, very disturbed by this. And they said, tell your followers to keep silent. And Jesus, I tell you the truth, if they were to remain silent, these very stones would cry out. Now, we find other places in the Bible, as an example, all the trees of the field clapped their hands. Oh, isn't that poetic? No, I, I don't think necessarily so. I think when you see a tree and its leaves shaking in the wind, it's doing exactly, exactly what God had designed it to do. For its little leaves to, leaves to shake in the wind. Oh, that we would do what we were designed to do by God as well. And so I believe that, that really when we look at this, um, I don't believe it is impossible for uh, what Jesus said to have happened, because I believe exactly as Jesus said, if the these would remain quiet, these stones would cry out. In fact, honestly, if you ever, anybody listening, if you ever have a chance to go to Israel, as you're there on the Mount of Olives descending into the city of Jerusalem down the hill, there's all these rocks, there's rocks everywhere. And always, I always pick up a handful of them and put them in my pocket because these are the stones that didn't try out. Uh, probably the best free souvenir you can get in Israel is those stones along the path going into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Your thoughts.
2: Yeah. And, and Charlie, some, some commentators would say this is prophetic imagery. Um, it, it's just, uh, Isaiah is one of the most beautiful. Of the prophetic writers, uh, he was. It's hard to believe that he died being sawn in half. He did. That's the way he was killed. Uh, because uh, you take Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and to me, Isaiah is one of the most beautiful of the writers. Uh, and it is. He, he writes uh, poetically in the sense that it flows. It's it's just this beautiful. He you know, and of course, it's the Holy Ghost moving through him too but we've got to remember the Holy Spirit moved through personalities uh, that were distinct and unique, every one of them. So uh, some commentators would say he's using uh, poetic, prophetic imagery to make a point, um, and, and that is the extreme joy that comes from salvation. You'll go out with joy, be led forth with peace, and it will seem like you'll have such joy that it will seem like The mountains and the hills are breaking forth and is singing right along with you. The whole world looks happier. You know, I was saved in juvenile home when I was 16. And I remember the walls in the juvenile home were this dingy, depressing green. I don't know why they did that, but they did. And they were just this depressing green. And when I gave my heart to Christ in juvenile home, uh, I remember when I lowered my head to prayer, to pray for the first time in my entire life, I had never prayed and I accepted Christ into my heart. The minister that preached to us was praying with me, just me. When I lifted up my eyes, I remember thinking how beautiful the room looked. It just looked so different to me because something dramatic had happened inside of me. The room looked new because I was new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So my salvation affected the way everything looked to me. And I remember going back down the hallway to my cell that night, and how just the this this horrible place was uh, had a beauty to it, a, a a lightness to it because of what had happened to me. So I think here you've got Isaiah just using prophetic imagery to make the point that when, because he's talking about salvation here, that when you're saved, everything looks beautiful. Everything looks different. The world looks different. The burden of sin is lifted. You're not carrying that heavy backpack of a dead weight sin on your back anymore. And so there's a lightness to everything around you. So I think that's what's going on here. And uh, so just for another angle to it, because I know that's the way, uh, some of the commentators would respond to this verse. Hope that helps.
0: Um, not really. You two seem about as divided as
2: I do with my pastor. <laughs> He's with the, the prophetic imagery, and I'm with the real life. But um, Well, it, you know, it's well, fine. It, I,
1: you, you have to remember something. When you read Hebrew Scripture, and this is the Old Testament in particular, the Hebrews looked at every verse uh, in three ways. First, obviously, what is it saying? number two, the spiritual application of it, and number three, the prophetic application. And I believe in these verses in Isaiah probably cover all three very well. We're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. We'll come back. We'll have a whole lot more right after this.
0: After taking the morning after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseous as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a pre-born network clinic where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right in there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done. Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing moms to the life growing inside of them and sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, she will choose life 80% of the time. And Preborn doesn't stop there. They offer mothers maternity clothes, doctor visits, and the help they need to choose life. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com or call 855 668 BABY. That's 855 668 BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. You know,
3: these days, so refreshing to get some good news about how to pay for health care, especially if you're 65 or older, you know just how brutal costs can be. Well, MediShare now has a new option for you. It's called MediShare 65 plus and MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. And it really is a community too. people encourage and pray for each other. If you've got Medicare parts, a and B MediShare 65 plus fills in those gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation too, because it starts at only $99 a month for up to 10 years and it's easy. You can use any Medicare approved doctor or get 24/7 telehealth access, prescription savings, dental and vision savings, just very worth looking into. Medishare 65 Plus is taking applications now, and if you call with the promo code SHARE before January 31st, your second month will be free. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-S H A R E. 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE.
1: We want to welcome you back to part two of Every Minute Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, when we went to the break, we were speaking with Charlie about this question in Isaiah 55. And we find, you know, not only that verse, Charlie, but many others. As an example, Jesus said that Elijah would come before the great and notable day of the Lord. And then he goes on and says, if you can receive it, John the Baptist was that Elijah, or that spirit of Elijah that was upon him. But we also know that I believe that Jesus was very much speaking in the future as well. And no doubt, probably one of the two prophets there in the streets of Jerusalem during the tribulation period, telling the world to repent. Now again, God dealing with the nation of Israel for seven years, and then bringing a global catastrophic judgment upon a God-rejecting world. So, is he talking about then- or is he talking about the future? Stop. You're both right. Any last thoughts on that, Jeff?
2: No, I just think that, uh, you know, you take, for instance, Jesus' uh, teachings that were often hyperbolic. In other words, he used exaggeration to make a point. And a, a lot of people misinterpret Jesus because they don't take that into account. Like when he says, if your hand offends, you cut it off. Well, we know from history that unfortunately... Through the centuries, there have been a few who have taken that literally and have cut their hands off. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Would he literally mean that? Well, unfortunately, again, in history, there are those that have done that because they were having issues with lust or whatever. And no, Jesus was speaking hyperbolically. He he was making a point by exaggerating. And so you have to be careful how you interpret Scripture, and I, I think that, uh, you know, Mike's view on uh, what Isaiah was saying and what I brought up was, was the view of some of the commentators. Uh, the good news is it's not a make or break your salvation issue. It's just an interpretation issue. And I don't think either one of them is wrong or bad. It's just another way of looking at it. And uh, so I think that, I do think that, uh, Knowing how to interpret scripture is a skill that is learned over time Um that you really need to hone. You know, the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh You know, cutting it straight is the, the literal Greek meaning there. You're to cut the word straight. That is, make a clean cut, uh you know, interpret it accurately, as accurately as you can. And that's The task given to every Bible teacher, every pastor, and I believe every Christian ought to do their best to interpret Scripture accurately. So, again, I don't think it's a deal-breaker at all. Uh, It's just a way of interpreting that, uh, in this case, I don't think either one were wrong.
1: Yeah, and I don't think rocks have little mouths or anything like that that speak, as an example. But to say that that can't happen, I, I want to be real careful. I didn't believe donkeys could talk either, and certainly uh Balaam had an experience with that. Um, also, we know rocks don't have ears. But yet in Revelation chapter 6, the last chapter, the last verse there in chapter 6, it says, And they cried out to the rocks in the mountains, Hide us, for the day of the wrath of the Lamb has come. Now all of a sudden these rocks have ears? So I think we need to be careful. I, I, yes, I think metaphorically that's the, the proper probably interpretation of this. Uh But, you know, I, I, like I say, I've seen things in the Bible that I didn't think could happen, the multiplying of the loaves and fishes and all the other th- miracles that Jesus did. Um, How every living thing in the sea can die, I don't know. But, of course, as long as North Korea keeps shooting off missiles, they don't really know where they're going. They just shoot them into the Yellow Sea and off the shores of Japan. You know, eventually you're going to start killing uh, sea life. And then the sea life that feeds on the other sea life that's contaminated, I very much could see how the whole sea could die. So when we begin to look at this, we want to be careful not to discount what the Word of God say. Well, you know, does the Bible really mean that, you know, uh God parted the Red Seas and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground? Well, the Christian signs say, well, Moses cleverly knew where the rocks were, so the children of Israel could step on the rocks, and it made it appear like they were crossing across on dry ground. Really? You mean to tell me that Pharaoh's trained entire Egyptian army drowned it in four inches of water. Wow, that makes it a bigger miracle than it was before. So all of a sudden we begin to try to explain away things. And I want to be careful of that. Yes, do I believe it's metaphorically speaking here? Yeah. But Jesus said it was possible for the stones to cry out. I don't think he was metaphorically speaking there. How he would do that? I don't know. I know sound is vibration, and I know anything can be vibrated, uh, whether it's a speaker cone or whether it's a wall or whether it's your house. Maybe those rocks could vibrate, and praise God. I don't know. But I want to be careful in discounting what God's Word says, because here's the slippery slope. Once we start saying, well, God can't do that, then pretty soon God can't do anything. And this is where I think a lot of dangers come in. So do we want to be, do we want to be wise with what God's saying? Yeah. And just as you mentioned, Jeff, you know, people cutting their hand off, it it offends them. Jesus is making a point there. That's how severe it is. If you keep stealing, if you keep using your uh, body for, for bad things, you would be better off to cut that off than to, than to, experience eternal vengeance and judgment because of those things. And that's the point that Jesus was making there, of the severity of eternal judgment for not bringing our fleshly lusts and appetites unto the mind of Christ. That's what he's talking about. So again, but we want to be careful. And again, I, I you know, the leaves of the field clap their hands, uh worshiping God. Yeah, I, I believe that's what they're doing. I, I think that's what God designed a tree to do. And, uh, those leaves do a pretty good job of it. Hope that helps, Charlie. Yes, sir. God bless you. Stay in line. We'll send you out Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort. Time to grow a little book that I think is very helpful, especially for new, pe- new Christians or people that are considering Christ, the movie Jesus and out of wonders. Stay on the line. We'll get those out to you. Great for evangelism. Let's go to Karin, I believe it is, in Mount Vernon, Washington, line five. Hi and welcome.
0: Hello, pastors. Hi. So this isn't a question just out of the Bible, but I've been listening to you for years and I've really enjoyed this program. And recently I've heard you, might say multiple times that our news media is corrupt and they aren't reporting truthful facts, et cetera. So yep. my question to you is, do you have an alternative news source that you could tell us about that operates with integrity and truth? And who do you get your news source from?
1: Well, I, I, a lot of times by just listening to the American news media, you know how rotten they really are. And um again, if President Trump, as an example, lied in every speech just about that he gave when he was president, you would have the American news media with blood squirting out of their ears. But Joe Biden can get up and say he taught at universities for four years, which he never did. All the things that he says, the diseases that he that he's never had, that he says he's had, the places that he said he's gone he's never been, uh they would they would have went ballistic on Trump. They go ballistic on Trump over anything. They twist it into something else. So it's really not news reporting, it's advocacy journalism. And you don't have to take my word for it. Remember the story about cocaine in the White House? And then magically, the story disappeared. Now, isn't that amazing that something as big as cocaine in the White House, now the story just vanishes from the secular news media? No, you'd think real journalism would want to chase this down, find out where it came from. Well, we know where it came from, and that's why they dropped the story. They didn't want it traced back. To the Biden family. This is the problem. But they don't tell you the truth. And so what it is then, it's not news, it's advocacy journalism. So, first of all, by just logic, you can dismiss the American news media as liars. And they are. And, And no offense to liars, because I believe the American news media is much worse. And I believe they're part of the one world order to collapse America. To not have... Every night, forefront, this illegal invasion that's happening. Do you realize, everyone, what that's going to do to America in a few years? Decimating American culture. Do you realize that they say that France, Paris France, bonjour, will be completely Muslim by the year 2040? They will control because they will be the majority, and they will vote in all Muslim leadership. And presidents and all those things. France is gone in 16 years. Now, I'm not, that's a matter of fact. Now, what's going to happen to America? Well, same thing. When this group of people have a group of kids and maybe one, America's gone. You see, they're not required to learn American history. Blanket amnesty, you hear, so they can all vote in the next election. This is an overthrow of your government and no one seems to care about it. And the American news media lies to everybody and doesn't put this story in the front. But if you're part of the one world order and part of wanting America to collapse, which they are, you're going to turn the other way and report on the dolphins off the coast of California. And this is what's happening everywhere. Now, again, this southern border issue that we talked about earlier with with Governor Abbott down in Texas, where you have not 10 coming across the border. You have hundreds of thousands of people coming across the border. Our infrastructure in the United States can't handle that. I remember in Twin Falls a few years ago, kids graduating from high school, you could go down on the president's streets, not bad neighborhood, but you could buy a house for 30,000 40,000 if you wanted to get married start a family yeah you could do that old oh, friends not anymore because you've got about 80 million illegal people living in your country right now now well, the government will op- will own up to uh uh you know 30 million but they've never told us the truth ever anyway so now I never will never will so now you've got you've got you can only put so many straws in a pop bottle, and then the pop bottle goes dry. Friends, this is what's going to happen to the United States, and very soon. Because the United States, you cannot keep giving everybody Social Security money to people, aliens, who never work for it. This is what's happening. But meanwhile, the printing presses just keep running. We keep going farther and farther into debt till there's going to be a massive financial collapse in the United States in which our borders are overran, everything is lawless. I read a story about In-Out Burger, a great place to eat personally. I, I love eating there. And they clo- they're closing Oakland, California's In-Out Burger. The crime is so high, it mm-hmm. is unsafe for the employees in In-Out Burger to work there. And they're mm-hmm. closing the store. First time in 75 years it has ever happened. Now, they just said, well, maybe we ought to do something about crime, the mayor said. But when you have these uh, Democrat-controlled municipalities soft on crime, well, our government's soft on crime. When you have millions, tens of millions of people breaking the law into your country, living off all of our work, our resources, our taxes, and they continue to do this, and then as an example, in your state, uh, there, Jeff, uh Governor Abbott saying, we're going to put up razor wire. And they say, no, you got to take it down. You got to let these people keep pouring in. And you see the pictures of these people that are, are 300 yards wide, as far as you can see, trying to break into America. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're being invaded, everyone. And you have an administration right now in the White House. That are traitors. And I don't mean kind of traitors. They're overthrowing your government, just as Nikita Khrushchev said in 1957, we will bury you. And he said without ever firing a shot. Friends, this is exactly what's happened. These people have worked themselves into these high ranking places, whether it be in the seminaries, schools, government, sheriff's office, law enforcement. They're everywhere. And strategically, this is where they focused. And so we're done. We're done. And so this is why. And the only reason, Karen, I even mention this, is not to terrify people and, oh, what are we going to do and bite our nails? To tell you how late the hour is. Work for the night is coming. Be about your father's business. What you can do for God today, do for God. Because we may not be here tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. The Bible doesn't. And what I mean by when it's going to happen, we know it's going to happen. Revelation tells us. But the thing is, work for the night is coming when no one can work. But the American news media, going back to your question, is completely corrupt. They won't report on the stories that are overthrowing your nation, but they'll report on every other stupid thing or what is in the news. They'll twist it isn't it interesting that they uh was frontline Tr- donald trump has top secret documents in his in his marlago home well as the president he was legal to have that but then they found top secret documents in joe biden's house when he was vice president which he legally did not have a right to have
2: in his well, garage was, next to his corvette
1: yeah and that was, was all the swept in, yeah, that was swept okay. under the carpet. You didn't hear any more about that. Uh, but they still bring this thing up of Donald Trump's top secret documents, which legally he had a right to have. You see, this is the rottenness of our American news media. So where do I go? Well, I think there's a few, um, places out there. I personally like, uh, One America. I think they're good. I think Newsmax is good. I think, uh, Fox sometimes is good, but um, One America, I I really like. Newsmax, I really like. Um, Your thoughts, Jeff?
2: Yeah, I would say, Karen, uh, quickly, that um, when it comes to finding a good source, you develop a sense. The Bible in Hebrews talks about exercising your senses to discern between good and evil. After a while, you can smell a fish in these stories, and uh, I tend to gravitate to stories that have uh, documented quotes that you can track down and verify. You can actually find out if what they're saying is true, statistically or factually. You can find out. So I, I tend to gravitate to stories like that. And I'm I, I'm just a i am i am just I read with my discernment antenna way up. And whoever I listen to, whoever I read, um, I, I sift through it, and I see if it if it's if it smacks true, if it smells, tastes true, if it's if it rings true. And uh, so it's it's really these days, unfortunately, we're having to, to develop um, a keener sense of, of, of just mining a story to see if if it's probably true or not. Because so many people are out there lying to the masses, you know. I'll I'll give it back to you, Mike. After this one quote, but Alexander, I mean, Alexander Eason said this, and boy, if this was, if it was true for him, this is so true for us. Speaking of his government, the the Russian government that was corrupt and communist. Here's what he said: We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know that we know they are lying. We know that they know that we know they are lying, and still they continue to lie. That's where we are. And so, scary stuff. So, you
1: know, like I say, uh, be as wise as serpents, the Bible says, harmless as doves. We need to continue to preach the gospel, but realize that there is an agenda behind our current our current administration, there's an agenda behind the American news media and they're all, they're all in cahoots together. Uh, and again, if, if Trump or any conservative was to say the continual lies that keep coming out, um, the money under the table to Joe Biden and the crime family, you would have the American news media in an uproar because see, that gets rid of conservatives. So they're one party. One World Order can come about. Everybody needs to be aware of it. Like I say, there's some some um, good medias out there, um, but uh, hope that helps.
0: It does, and continue on with your your good fight and the information for us listeners.
1: Amen. And I'm embarrassed that the American news media doesn't tell people the whole truth. And a part truth is just as bad as a bald faced lie because the forget, whole design is to bring people to the wrong conclusion.
2: Yeah, not only that, but Mike, as you well know, it's not just they give part truth or a flat lie, but it's what they don't report on at all that yeah. is also a uh, disgrace border. And the border situation is crazy. Border, but all kinds of stories that they don't report on because it doesn't fit their narrative. If nope. it doesn't fit their narrative, it doesn't matter what happens. They're not going to, it can be a mass shooting in some downtown city, but if it doesn't fit their narrative, they're not going to cover it or they'll skim over it quickly and let it go. It's my minor was in journalism and I remember it being hammered into us that objectivity was the goal of journalism. You know, you get out there and you, you dig up the story and you, t- you, you report the story as it was and as it is to the best of your ability that is so far gone now now it is be sure you twist it into the woke narrative uh because if you don't you're out of here
1: yeah an anti abortion rally uh where where there's a half a million people show up for anti abortion news won't touch it but yeah, if 5000 people, people pro pro abortion <laughs> yeah. show up that'll be front line news
2: Giant that's crowd. The,
1: yeah, that's the that's the thing that they do, and and uh, you know th- when they do their man on the street interview, of course they're only going to get people that agree with them. Well, I remember in in Boise, Idaho, one of the local television stations. They oh yeah the the last election was completely legitimate. Uh, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And again, as we covered here by Brad Dacus, one of our attorneys that we have with us, he said that there was a complete congressional seat flipped in California because some very good poll watchers realized that the number of votes counted were not the number of people who went into the voting building. And so as they began to investigate it, well, these were, these were mail-in ballots. Well, then they called the people who sent in supposedly the mail-in ballots only to find out they never voted. They were fraud, and it flipped a, con- a, con- a congressional district from Democrat to Republican. But did the American news media cover that? Oh, no way, because everything's completely legitimate. Yeah, right. Like I tell everybody, watch 2,000 Mules, that movie. Is so important for you to watch because you'll see actual video of people driving up to these places where you vote, where you're supposed to put your personal ballot in that was to be mailed in. And you'll see people drive up with gunny sacks full of ballots where they stuff them into the box. Friends, it's real and they're lying. And I, again, the American news media is really a disgrace to journalism at large karen i hope that helps and uh to send something out to you i think you'll really like atheist delusion by ray comfort god of wonders the movie jesus and uh, time to grow send those out to you okay
0: great thank you so much
1: god bless you karen and if you need us we're here for you let's go to joey louisiana hi welcome how y'all
3: doing tonight good Uh, I got a question about Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I'd like to know why that idol is placed in the house of God. And the because it's have... not
1: speaking of, a, it's not speaking of a Christmas tree. It's talking about the idolatry of Israel, how with one piece of wood, they would go out and cut it in two. With one, they would deck it with gold and silver, overlay it so it moveth not. And they would set that in their house and worship it. And with the other piece of wood, they would cook their beans on it. Shows how foolish idolatry really is. Your thoughts, Jeff.
2: Yeah, that you're reading in Jeremiah 10, 3-4, where he's simply describing what idolaters in uh, Jeremiah's day were doing. they go out and cut down the tree, and they would bedeck it with silver ornaments and these different things that were idols that they actually worshipped. And carved. he makes
1: the point. They would carve yeah. them and cover them over yeah. with
2: gold. Exactly. And verse 5 says, They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. Now when you see those words speak not that's the way the Bible always denigrates idols. The Bible mocks idols. And one of the things the Bible always points out about idols is they hear not, they see not, they speak not. So what was in this tree was idols and uh Jeremiah is addressing that, not a Christmas tree.
1: No, and and, and that that piece of wood or that tree Again, they would take and carve it, overlay it with gold, make it so it didn't move, send it upright, and it was their family God. Crazy stuff, Joey. Stay on line if you like. I'll send you out books and DVDs. We're all out of time. Beth, Woody, the rest, please call us back. We'll pitch on first thing tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. Y'all have a I blessed night. My
3: pleasure. Ministry ...or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Everyman in Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.